Ben, I, to be quite frankly, I am surprised that we are even recording this right now. The last week, I have been the biggest flake ever when it comes to recording the podcast. Like, uh, I have bailed so many times, and that's not like me. I wouldn't say flake, but I would say you did bail four days in a row. But I was very, very bloody busy. Yeah, you were busy. I started a new job this week. You've been working. We've both been busy. We've both had a lot on. So and now we're we back recording. We're, we're back with a banger. One of the most anticipated shows that we do here on the Articulate Film Podcast. For the second year in a running, we're going to be doing our top films of the year. Ben has uh, cleverly listed, listed this, tops of 2020. <laughs> well, that's the first error. It's 2021. Uh, and we're going to be chatting about the 20 biggest films of the year. Uh, let us know what you think is your favourite film at Articulate Film. Do you agree with our picks? Let us know. Leave us a uh, comment and a, a review. I've never done that at the start before, Ben. Before we got into the content, ask people to give yeah. us a review. I mean, very it's, cheeky. Sounds a bit tacky at the beginning. But firstly, before we start listing sounds things... Sounds desperate, doesn't it? It does, it does. But before we start listing things, Jacob, out of five, how would you review 2021 as a whole? I mean, we've had some 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 bangers in there, like, you know, from my personal opinion, the new Spider-Man, hello, um, James Bond. There's been some great ones in there. So I'm going to go for like a four. I mean, four I was five. not talking about films. I was just talking about the year in general. Ah, see, when this is a film podcast, I just kind of automatically yeah. draw films. Um, how has the year gone in general? I think next year's going to go worse, <laughs> if that's any consolation. Oh, God. Positively. I think 2021 is better than 2020, which, um, low bar. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I genuinely, I think 2021, for my personal life, has been a four out of five stars, yeah. I think right. for the general life of everyone else, it's probably been a lot lower. And I also kind of hope we remember 2021 as the year that ABBA came back and no one gave a shit. I mean, yes, or, you know, how Jesse Nelson from Little Mix ruined her solo career within the first week. Yeah, or um, what else has happened this year? The oh, capital, the, the like, yeah, the capital in Washington was stormed. That was like a year yeah. ago now. Um, you know, anti, uh, like, protesters decided to sit in roads. Yep, um... It's been a mad year. Film-wise, Ben, how have you found it? It started slow. I've not included any films from the beginning of the year. Mainly, beca mainly because the last Oscar date was postponed and went into April. And I didn't want to do any films that were nominated at last year's Oscars because I felt they've had enough praise. Right. Yeah. But I also aren't necessarily doing films that are but i'm also only doing films that are widely available in the uk so yeah. some stuff like belfast and licorice pizza are not going to be on this list right um also then before we start the top 20 should we give a massive hell yeah fucking amazing bigs up to strictly yeah but that should be in the tv episode okay we'll talk about that in the tv episode but what just you know so 
even a strictly fan, right? I'm not even a strictly fan, but I, I loved it. Yeah. The final. My gosh. I mean, let's talk about that in the TV episode. That may, spoiler alert, be on the top 20 TV shows of 2021. And when I say spoilers, I mean it's um, quite high. <laughs> so, yeah. It's not super high. Um, I forgot about it, so I'm adding it in now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, Ben obviously clearly values this. So, this, le- these, the, I can't get my words out. You uh, value these, you know, rankings so highly that you forget about them. Anyway, Jacob, so may we start? May we? May we start? Oh, I'm going to start. Right. In number 20th is Annette. And if you've not seen the film, I did just I try just and... I have so many questions about the way you introduced that, but... You... Yes. If you've not <laughs> seen fine. the film, I just tried to sing the opening lyrics from that song, from ah, that okay. film. Well, it's... you could have made that a little bit more clear, because for me, it just came across <laughs> like you're a bit drunk or something. Yeah, I kind um... of wanted to bemuse people there. Uh, that was kind of what I was going for. This is the new Leo Carax film. It's his first one in English language, and he is the most insane director working today, and he teamed up with this cult band, the Sparks Brothers, who wrote the script and the music for this musical. And it's not like anything else I've ever seen. Um, it's a weird thing that's on my top 20, because I can't say I wholly loved it, or that I wholly hated it, but I know I didn't feel nothing towards it. Um, It's certainly going to bemuse people with quite mainstream taste, which I do quite famously have very mainstream and boring taste. Um, It stars Adam Driver as a stand-up comic who falls in love with Marianne Cotillard, who's an opera singer. They They fall madly in love, have sex while singing about how madly they're in love with them, and give birth to a weird puppet called Annette. Um, Meanwhile, they're singing the whole way through the film. It is... Weird. Like, I'm not sure what happened. I'm not really sure anything about the film. But I kind of enjoyed it. And it's available to stream on Mubi if you want a really weird couple of hours. It's one of the most daring films of the year. Right. Um. I mean, I've never even heard of the film. Mm. How did it do box office-wise? Didn't have a massive release because they were waiting for it to go on streaming, and it's also not a film that would make millions and millions and millions of dollars. But you enjoyed it. It's in twenty in the top twenty. I mean, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Enjoyed. You remembered it, admired. so it's not that bad. Yeah. Oh no, I definitely didn't forget it, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. It's it's bonkers. <laughs> All right, on to number 19 now. Uh, we got a film that we, we... You've spoken to me about this before. You've told me that you think I should go watch this before, right, Ben? Yeah, so 19th is the new Pablo Lorraine film, Spencer, um, which I'm not entirely sure why I put it 19th, because thinking back, I think it should be higher. Um, what can I say? It stars Kristen Stewart <laughs> as Princess Diana, um, and it's set over a long weekend in Christmas weekend. Happy Christmas, Jacob. Um, and Happy you, Christmas, Ben. Yep. And you know that... Um, Happy uh, Christmas, Ben Dick Cumberbatch. As he listened to our last podcast. Yep. Lovely Dick. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll do that again. That film's coming up, so it may actually happen. <laughs> oh, gosh, okay. Um, anyway, at this point in the timeline, we know that 
Charles and Diana's marriage is falling apart. And you see the mental strains it's happening on Diana. Stuart, she it's the first time I've ever sat back and watched one of her, her give a performance where I've went, that's Kristen Stewart. Not no, where I've not went, that's Kristen Stewart. I've just totally believed she was Diana. It's brilliant. She had that kind of shyness that Diana had while being so lovable and shining and being a bright light. And it's daring and it's interesting and not everyone's going to love it. But I thought this was a beautiful fable. And it's a film, once like Annette, that I don't think I could forget if I tried. It's beautiful. My mum absolutely loved this film. Oh yeah, it's amazing. I think the people who don't like it are kind of the people who... You don't like the royal family? No, I think it's actually the opposite. Hit me. Um, I think it's kind of people who do like the royal family and wanted a more traditional biopic. It's uh, it's phenomenal. Um, very British. Yeah, but at the same time, not very British. It's a really bold take. Um, and you like it? I love it. I mean, it, they picked the right year to get it to come out. But when, when we were speaking about the year, we completely forgot about all the Harry and Meghan and Piers Morgan drama. Oh my God, yeah. I love how Piers Morgan is now, like, involved in that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Is he, though? It's I've been, not it's thought, been a big year. I've not thought about him for months. <laughs> yeah, he's got his last, like, Daily Star, is it? His last Daily Star column or something at the minute? Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I haven't thought about him for... A, couple of months and I don't want to think about him so let's talk you about you haven't someone. thought about him since number 18 the French dispatch yes Smooth. which is weirdly about newspapers um the Wes Anderson film um it's arguably the most Wes Anderson he's ever got for better or worse um look it's not his best film but nothing is the level of Grand Budapest or Fantastic Mr Fox and he tried to oh, make... Oh, Fantastic it... Mr. Fox, incredible film, man. Yeah, and Wes Anderson tried to do an anthology style here in the shape of a magazine where you have different articles that came alive as the film. Um, right. He's... If you know his style, because I do think he's one of the few Archer directors working at the moment, you'll know it's a Wes Anderson film from the moment it starts. And he has all his visual tricks repeated throughout the thing it's also he there's so much going on like at points you want to punch the screen because you're like just calm down mate point it goes into animation and it goes from black and white to color simultaneously and the aspect ratio changes and the story's changed but it's got some brilliant world building some brilliant characters and an A-star cast where you're literally going, oh my god, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. It's a utterly enjoyable two-hour ride. Um, even if not all the stories are as good as each other. And at points you literally are sitting there wanting to punch the screen. I really found myself swept up. The first time I watched it. Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, Ben, you know what? This is, the, this is the vibe I'm getting. You can tell when it's been a strong year for films where you're... So positive that every single one. I mean, I did literally say at points I wanted to punch the screen at the last film, so... 
Yeah, but, right, you say that, that's what makes it a good film. The fact that you care so much, and, like, you know when it's a bad film, you and or something happens in a film, and you just don't care, like, oh, it's so bad. When you actually get that into it, shows it's done something right, because it's got you, it's got you interested. And the French Dispatch is also available to buy on DVD for people who want to. Would you recommend it? Yeah, I would. Totally. I would you like watch it on like a projector that you can't smash? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> You've uh, got a projector bed. You should watch it on that. You just dump the wall. I saw it in cinemas. Did you? Yeah, twice. Good vibe in the cinema. Were other people feeling the same? Did other people want to punch the TV? Well, the person I came out with the second time I saw it was even more positive than I was. So, um. There we go. Actually, second time I watched it, I was a bit like, I was like, what, really? <laughs> it seemingly got notably worse, but uh, I really do enjoy it. I've seen it three times now. <laughs> On now to number 17, we've got Last Night in Soho. If you have ever been to Soho, um, don't go there if you want a drink. I went to a bar in Soho recently and paid £18 for a double vodka and coke. London prices. That is a joke, though, isn't it? Yes. So I worked for two hours to get a <laughs> Was it in a cake. club? No, it was, it was uh, a bar. Oh, so glad I live in London. <laughs> this is a film directed by Edgar Wright, who you may have known from the Cornetto trilogy or Baby Driver. Um, he has lived in and worked in Soho his whole life, and he kind of takes you back to the 1960s era of it when it was in its heyday. Um, as you see, Eloise, played by Thomasine McKenzie, who's a contemporary girl living in the 2020s, finds herself transported, but she finds out instead of being the nostalgic past we remember, it's something darker, and the film slowly transforms into something creepier and more horror, which sees the first time in his career, Wrights really went for a massive genre fe- feature. It's plays out like a 60s Brit pick with some frights while having a slight contemporary feel to it. The first hour and a half, phenomenal. Kind of loses its way a bit towards the end. But um, truly interesting and beautiful work of art. And for a really long chunk of it, it does show why Edgar Wright is one of the best directors working today. Visually, it just pops and shines and you want to dive back into the world even when it's over sticking with our last theme now we've gone from last night in soho uh, at number 17 now we're at number 16 with the last duel so this film which is on disney plus now i wouldn't say it's for everyone see i am surprised you put this on here i like it I do. I like... know you just don't like a lot of the content on Disney Plus, and that's what's surprising about it. That we found something that you like. On Disney yeah, but Plus. Disney didn't produce this film, and it came out in cinemas first. And it's by Ridley Scott, who's one of the great directors of our times. Um, the things I don't like about this film are actually the least Disney bits about it. In the fact that it shows a rape scene from two different perspectives. Is it on Star on Disney Plus? It's on Star on Disney Plus. Yeah. The good side of Disney Plus. <laughs> no. Yes. There's there's no denying that's where the best things are. 
and there's no denying that's the bit that they produced none of. That's the stuff they've bought. Um, it's the last jewel is based off the actual events of the last trial by combat in France between Jean de Corot, played by Matt Damon, and Jacques Legree, played oh, by like Adam French Driver. Stuff, what? We like our French stuff at the minute, don't we? Yeah, I mean, this is a weird one when you have people in France playing French people played with English accents. Just wait oh. till we get further up the list, that's all I'm saying. There's some weird accents and wigs in this film, I will say that. But, but Ben, you're, you love that, right? That, that's like your, your like, dream film summed up, accents and wigs. Lots of accents. You love that. Lots of that wigs. That bit of Benedict Cumberbatch dick, you're all good. Yeah, <laughs> lots of accents, lots of wigs. Um, it's a massive medieval epic, this feature. Which, again, you love, so I feel like this film is just great for you. And played from Free Dynamics. And we did talk about it a lot on an earlier pod in October, so I don't want to go through the same ground talking about all of the things that are slightly interesting with the politics of the film, because right. we could be here for ages. And I would say go back to our October podcast. But I think this is an enthralling ride that really puts its characters front and centre. And whereas it doesn't always get things right, it does most of the time, and often in ways you wouldn't have expected it to going in. And I do feel like people are now discovering it on Disney+. Plus, Which Ben loves. Uh, I'm glad... No. I'm glad people are discovering the film now because it didn't make a million bucks in the box office. Um, so, I would rather people watch the film on any platform than not at all. Very good. Okay, on now to 15. We have got Luca, which, Ben, I keep saying you love this film, you love this film. Of course you did. This is your top 20, the article from top 20, mm. right? But you're big fans of all these. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have put these on if I didn't like or admire them. Uh, Luca is the latest Pixar film. Yeah, it's definitely, they haven't released another one since. Um, it's a beautiful coming-of-age story about a young sea monster who spends an Italian in a summer in Italy eating ice cream and pasta and going on rides on a... What's that bike called? Motorbike? Tuk-tuk. I can't tuk-tuk. remember. What? A tuk-tuk. No, it's not a tuk-tuk. Um, Vespa. I Vespa. Went on one of those in London. Oh, great. What? On a Vespa. Vespa? Yeah. Um, Which is... I went on a tuk-tuk in London the same day I went to the place in Soho. This is really, like, cleared out my bank account. You paid by person for a tuk-tuk. So, and to get from the London Eye to Soho... £20 per person. We pay 40 quid. How long did it take? Uh, about 10 minutes. Yeah, let's ignore that. Anyway, Luca is it's just a... It's Pixar. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to make you cry. The last shots of the film... I don't think it'll make me cry. Trust me, it'll make you feel cry. The last shot of the film is perfect and beautiful... And you know what the best thing about this film is? What? It's 90 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's good. I kid you not, we have multiple you films... You can hold in the Wii. We have multiple films on the list that are like two and a half hours. And, yeah. I, and this is 90 minutes. And the film that's number one 
is actually only 70 minutes. I much prefer a shorter film than a long one. <laughs> Do you prefer like a longer film or would you prefer it to be like, would you prefer, do you prefer like a long film? Would you prefer to see it over two films? Just slightly more stretched out? No, no, I'd want a story. <laughs> okay, that's that for you. Put in a like TV show. Pass by. Yeah, put in a TV show. Which we, I love TV shows. Same. Can't wait for our TV one. But right now we are doing the top films of 2021. And in at 14, we have got Passing. Yep, so this is the directory debut by Rebecca Hall in adapted from the 1929 novella by Nellie Larson, which she tells the story of two black women, one of them played by Tessa Thompson, who still lives as a black woman, and the other one played by Ruth Negger, who passes because she has slightly lighter skin and decides to pass as white. Now, this Netflix film really tries doesn't try it successfully makes you think um it talks about the realities we construct from ourselves um hall proves to be a really talented director to get the actors performances to zing off the screen and they're so fascinating um it looks interesting i love the black and white cinematography to really show in a film about how people pass from black to white, shooting it in black and white makes it so much interesting, more interesting. And it really shows there's so much more middle ground. So, yeah. On now to number 13, a show which I remember, there are, then we review a lot of stuff on this podcast. Um, and there are some shows that just, you know, stick with me, your reviews and your review of June. Just, I loved it. I thought it was great. And you popped that in at number 13. I thought it'd be a bit higher. Um, is this the point where I point out I've never actually reviewed June on the podcast? You have? <laughs> no, I think you must be talking about something else. Like, we weren't on the week it came out. I feel like maybe we've had a conversation about it off screen. We've definitely spoken about this show. Yeah, probably. This film. Probably. God, why do I sound like I'm actually going mad and just don't pay any attention? I've definitely spoken to you about this film. Yeah, you probably have. It's one of the biggest films of the year. And I am unbelievably glad that the first part by Denis Villeneuve actually managed to get made. Um, it stars right. Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, a boy who has to travel to distant worlds to lead the destiny thing it's heavy sci-fi which isn't a genre i normally go for i have to admit i know this is 13th on my list yeah this is when we spoke about it ben i reckon you sent me voice notes like bro this film's amazing like i don't like sci-fi you should watch it i feel like you were quite i was like i think i told you to watch it i think i said you would love it yeah. Okay. Because yeah. it's and very like, Star Wars and you. Voice notes explaining it. It's very Star Wars and you, Hopi. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think you would love it. I okay. thought it looked brilliant, and I was very glad it got made. But I kind of was a bit bored, and I saw it twice in cinemas and fell asleep at two different points. <laughs> so it's not one of mine. You could have Appreciate but I appreciate it. it, and I'm glad it got made, and I think people should go and seek it out before part two, particularly if they're fans of Star Wars. It's just, 
not for me. Or if you think Timothy Chalamet is hot because there's lots of shots of his long hair. But I'm very glad the film got made and I admire it, which is why it got its place on the list. I love how I just said I love dogs. Mm. That's because at number 12 we've got The Power of the Dog. Yes, this is the film that we spent out literally ten minutes. Ben, do you off. like your dog, by the way? I do like my didn't dog. For so long, I can see her over there. Um, no, I remember you used to be like she's just so annoying. Like I don't like her. She so was crazy. annoying as a puppy, but now she's grown older. She's less. Anyway, you can tolerate her. Yep, we talked in depth about this film on last week's podcast, and I don't really want to talk about it now because um, we're at risk of derailing the podcast with Benedict Cumberbatch's dog Dick. Uh, but Jane Chap Campion's new Netflix Western is phenomenal. It's interesting and it slowly unravels itself in a really interesting way. The less you know about it, the better. But if, it, if you need to be enticed, you can listen to last week's podcast and just know it has one of the most famous actors in the world, Nobbin. Shall we move on to number 11? Yep, enough said. Um... The Hand of God. Yes, which, Jacob, you may know not, not know this, but this film, is be- the title is based off the reference from the greatest indignity in football history, Diego Madonna's Hand of God. Ooh. Pablo Sorrentino has used that vile moment as a um, disgusting moment, as an origin story what happened? that talks about his young life in Napoli. Well, it's when Diego Maradona famously handed the ball into the England goal and the ref didn't give it as a disallowed goal in the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal. And that let North Argentina get through. Vile moment. Um, considering I was so detested the moment that this film's based off, I actually quite liked the movie. Um, pa- Pablo Sarantino really has such a way of crafting his hometown. And it's a beautiful personal story that goes through his life, even if it will make any England football fan go, oh! I feel, Ben, the thing is, you, um, you are, like, the most unlikely football fan. You tell me that multiple times a week. Yeah, you just, I, it's just so weird to me, because you don't strike me as a guy who likes football. Love football. I know, you love it. You love fancy football as well, don't you? Yeah. Even though I've not played this year, I keep on, I forgot to sign up and I, Love Football Manager. Football Manager is the best game I've ever created. Um, anyway. All right, we're in the top ten now. We are. Pig. Pig, the directorial debut by Michael Saranowski. Um, This film stars a good Nicolas Cage performance. Ooh. And with that... Yeah. No, it's Nicolas Cage... Does that say a lot of his performances aren't good? Let's just say... He's probably one of the most prolific actors. Right. And when you're that prolific, the quality of your work does decrease a little bit. This is probably his best performance in about 10 years as a chef who now lives in the wildness with his pig who collects truffles for him. And then it turns into a really enthralling thriller as things get wilder and wilder and wilder. It just sounds a bit strange. Yeah, it is very strange. But strange is often... That's obviously alright. Halfway through the list. Yeah. Alright, we're on to number nine right now. Tick, tick, boom. 
So this is the first film that the genius that is Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton and In the Heights fame, one of those is coming up later on the list. Um, it's his first directorial debut. It's on Netflix. Um, it's based off the musical Tick, Tick, Boom, which was autobiographical of Jonathan Larson, who wrote the musical Runt, which is one of the most influential musicals of all time. Larson uh, is played here by Andrew Garfield, and it's set while he's a young theatre composer waiting tables in New York trying to make his big American musical that breaks through. You see his financial insecurity, you see how the Broadway community in the late 80s were ravaged by AIDS, and you see all of these questions. Um, it's a brilliant musical. The songs are engaging, the choreography makes you want to get up and dance, it's gleeful. But it's still, like Larson's work, has a real gut punch and it manages to make you go, ugh, you connect, it's beautiful. I love when you describe films as beautiful. Oh, brilliant. Do you and think it's this on next Netflix. One's beautiful? What? Do you think this next one's beautiful? No. <laughs> Why not? Why is Shang Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings, which is at number eight, it's not beautiful? Uh, this is taking a long time, Ben. Yeah, I can't answer it. Um, this is... Shang, it's not been a great year for Marvel, in my opinion. Um, and you're a Marvel fan. I was a Marvel fan before this year. Yeah. Um, I've not even went to watch the new Spider-Man. I watched it. Did you like it? I loved it. That's good. Um, is, <laughs> okay. Is R-A-N-T in the film? I don't know who they are. Perfect. <laughs> so you managed to not spoil the thing that everyone knew was going to happen. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you like Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings? I know. I thought... Um, I like films when Marvel gets a bit different and a bit more interesting and that's other types of heroes shine instead of seeing the 900th Spider-Man film or the one millionth superhero film that a straight white male is the lead in. Um, Shang-Chi I thought was a brilliant moment for representation, particularly for the Asian community and it had some brilliant... The Marvel Asian community has got a lot of run like this year. Yeah, they really have. Um, is, which is good, they needed more yeah. representation. Um, but I thought there were some brilliant martial arts scenes, um, as Liu is a former stuntman himself. Um, and I actually thought the film was its best when it was having those kick-ass action sequences that relied on stunt choreography instead of massive CGI, like most Marvel films end up doing. A really anticipated film this year was King Richard. You put that in at number seven then. Mm. I thought it would be a bit higher for you. I was expecting this to be top three. It is a phenomenal film. I absolutely adore the top seven. And um, that's what's really difficult. There's very little in between seven and one. Like the gap between eight and seven is massive. And the gap between seven and one is tiny. Um, this is the story of... We've Rich really ramped it up now. Yep, this is the biopic of Richard Williams, who's famously the father of Serena and Venus Williams. You know who they are, Jacob? 
Yeah, tennis players. Two of the greatest athletes of all time. Um, it's a moving sports film that hits all the beats of a sports film, but you still feel like you're watching it for the first time. You're probably cheering on Venus Williams as a young girl who's becoming the woman we know her to be. Um, it's inspiring to see Richard Williams um, mentor his kids, particularly at an age where fatherhood is really important for all kids. And it manages to have conversations about race, parenting and marital dynamics. Um, part of me still, even though I love the film, is a bit like, why make a biopic about two... When you're making a film about two of the greatest female athletes of all time... Why make it about why the man about in their dad. life? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's seventh. But the film is really uplifting. And in all fairness, it stops after Venus's second professional match. And at that point, you know, it's the girls who took center stage. And a kick-ass Beyonce song at the end, in the end credits does an awful lot to help you. Because they're good friends, aren't they? Beyonce's friends with them. Yeah. So Beyonce, Beyonce has a song at the end and you're watch, and the credits have footage of Venus and Serena playing and you're like punching the air. It's so good. Have you heard the Beyonce song, It's Be Alive? Yeah. So good, isn't it? It's a good... I love Beyonce. Yeah, and in the course of the film, you're like, so good. You're like so pumped, so uplifted. Yeah! Woo! It's... um. Amazing. I love are you this is why we should film the podcast. I feel like we might get a few more like views uh, because you're just hilarious because you're actually like bobbing up and down on your I did legitimately like, pump the air and woo. Yeah. Also when you were talking about uh Shang Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings, you did try and like recreate some martial arts. As well. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what all that was about. Anyway, in sick is a film from my favourite streaming service. Apple. Uh, Apple TV Plus. Got yeah. there, I got there, I had to think, I got there. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's Coda. It won the Audience Award at Sundance way back at the beginning of 2021. Um, and now it's come out. Um, it's about Ruby, who's a 17-year-old girl. She's the sole hearing member in a deaf family. And Coda is a pseudonym for the phrase children of deaf adults. Um her life revolves around being an interpreter for her parents, played by Marley Matlin and Troy Kushner, who have a lot of... Sex. Is, yep. And she also has to work on the you boat. You could just have said that, Ben. I, you are 19 years old. I know, I could have. She has to help her family <laughs> on the boat. I think part of you wanted to just make the noise. Oh, yeah. That's why I did it. Anyway, she has a gift for singing, even though her family don't encourage it because they can't hear it. And she's mentored by a teacher, played by Eugenie Debrez. Um This film will make you laugh. It will make you cry. It's brilliant family entertainment. You see the legend that is Marley Matlin, as well as newcomer Amelia Jones. They just give such emotional powerhouse of a performance. Um, it's a proper feels movie. It's a crowd pleaser. I think it's a perfect film to get the family around and watching during the festive period. Ben, I can't believe I've just seen what you put at number five. It's one of my favourite films of the year. I wanted this to take the top spot. Yeah. And at number five, despite being a little too long. 
and having a terrible villain and yes. having a list of problems probably as long as my arm. I love this film unabashedly. We're on about No Time to Die. No Time to Die. This is the point where we get sued for copyrights because Ben's just singing loads of songs in podcasts. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I can't believe I just called what you did singing as well. Ben, why is No Time to Die not number one? Well, do we want to talk about the reasons it's not perfect or the reasons it's pretty fucking good? Let's talk about reasons it's pretty fucking good. Yeah. So you have Bond. He's now left the active service. Um, he's But he's asked to come back for one more mission to stop a scientist who wants to start a pandemic, um, I'm pretty sure. And played by Rami Malek, who is almost unwatchable. But the film does what it wanted to do. And it rounded off the Craig era with a brilliant amount of ambition. And it is phenomenal. And I sat there with my mouth ajar in the cinema. I saw it three times in the cinema. Um, I just was amazed. And it succeeded in bringing all the Bond films together. And the ending... We're not going to obviously mention what happened. Because that's a massive spoiler. Even though everyone probably knows at this point. But I feel like... Actually, the spoiler is quite hidden. Compared to, like, I have friends who haven't seen the film. Right. And I went, do you know what happens at the end? And my friend genuinely didn't. Yeah? I, know, I haven't seen... Be, um, I know a lot of people, because like, James Bond, it's a franchise loved by all generations. Yeah. I know a lot of elderly people, to be fair. Um, if elderly people know what our podcast is, I'll be amazed. But they are going to buy it on DVD because COVID, they don't want to go to cinemas. Yeah, so the film was vastly successful. It's like the third biggest film in the UK. But this ending, which is arguably one of the biggest things to have ever happened in cinema history, yeah, that's not... Uh, Yeah, that's not even a statement. That's not really known or talked about. Bearing in mind, Spider-Man No Way Home has been out for, what, a week? And I've not seen the film, and I know everything that happens in it. And I didn't even look. Saw the memes. Yeah, well, I also kind of knew everything that was happening before it came out because uh, that yeah. film was leaky, whereas No Time to Die wasn't. And that gave it so much more impact. All right, number four. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. You sounded weirdly like Woody Hot Norman, who plays the eight-year-old Jesse, when he says that a climactic scene in the film. Yeah, that was the point. You've not seen it. <laughs> I know, that was really not the fine. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I can guarantee you, Jacob has not seen this film. What is this film? So you have Jack Queen Phoenix, who plays Johnny, a radio journalist, who goes around the country, US, interviewing kids about what they think of the future. Anyway, he ends up looking after his nephew, Jesse, played by Wooden, Woody Norman, um, despite having never had any parenting experience. And the film really sees these two bond. It's a beautiful reflection. And it's not a franchise. It's not building towards a massive cinematic event. It's not doing what No Way Home did. Or No Time to Die did. It's not full of explosions. Instead, it's a really beautiful story about a couple of relationships. 
told with such tenderness and such heart. And it's not a particularly long film. Your eyes will be fixed to the screen because it just works on every sense. It's a moment when a film works and you're like, yes! Oh, it's beautiful. I've not stopped thinking about it since I saw this it. This film's beautiful. And I can't wait to watch it again. I cannot wait to watch Come On, Come On again. And with three. Three. This is so intense. I'm feeling so intense. I hope we are really, for the listeners, I hope you are feeling on the edge of your seats to find out what we at the Articu Film Podcast think of the top three films of the year. In at number three is... In the Heights, I can't remember love. Go try and sing the song. Bits of what is with the singing today, mate? I'm not sure. I work at a theatre and I've had to watch the panto five times in six days. Yeah, so this is really rubbing off on you. It's not good. I'm pretty sure the singing is really affecting my mood. Anyway, this is based it's off like the... It's like my, um, my friend is living with an American at university. And now she started uh, referring to like trousers and jeans as pants. Hmm. That's when things rub off you, not in a good way. But yeah. Pants are your underwear, mate. Yeah, so anyway, this... Anyway, we got uh, In the Heights, in at number three. Yeah, it's based off the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical that swept Broadway by storm and won multiple Tonys. Um, it's a real celebration of the Latinx community that sees Uznavi, played by Anthony Ramos, as a magnetic, likeable bodego owner who has to try and save his street and his community from going extinct i mean ramos just he's so charming and so charismatic and he lights up the screen and this film was such a party this summer it sings and it dances and you're like your spirit sells it does everything a musical should do the I music is memorable it was on my soundtrack for about a couple of months the 96,000 yeah, song from the sequence of it ended up quite high on my Spotify wrapped. And the sequence in the swimming pool just looks visually spectacular. It may be a bit long at two and a half hours, but my God, you have... You're not going to leave this film going, I wish there was a bit more. It's bold, it's big, it's bombastic, it's enjoyable. They gave everything they had with this film. And it showed, and it paid off. Oh, God, Ben. There are two films left. Should we say what they are? No, we no, say no. What two... Let's, let's okay. not say what they are. Okay, all right. Let's you know, this, this is what they do on the chart, the official chart on Radio 1. They tell you what, like, two ones are left, then go, question is, which one goes where? Yeah, but, like, if we go, if we say what they both are now, we'll only end up talking about what's first. And I want to talk okay. about the film that's second. Okay. Because that... And, and num- number two. I really debated this these orders. I really did. Was this did. tough? Was this tough? This was seriously tough. But number two is the new Steven Spielberg reboot of West Side Story. Now, I went into this film going, oh, I don't think this is going to be very good. And my God, I was proven wrong. So it's a reboot of the 1950s musical, which had music from Stephen Sondheim, who's one of the greatest composers, which, and the musical itself is based off Romeo and Juliet, which is, one of the, which is arguably the greatest story ever told, 
And on top of that, it's being adapted by Steven Spielberg, who is the greatest film director of all time. Um, and this is his first musical, and he has managed to make the genre feel very relevant and very contemporary, even though it's a story set in 1950s New York. Um, you have the sharks, you have the jets, you have the dancing up and down the street, you have the... Look, it's based off Romeo and Juliet. You know the emotional beats the film is going to hit. Um, brilliant performances by Rachel Ziegler as Maria, Anita DeBoss as Anita. She has to win the Oscar, she's so good. Mike Frost is brilliant as Riff. You have the tension. You feel like there's so much tension that every scene's about to explode. Everyone needs to go to see this film in cinemas while it's still there. If you went and see Spider-Man instead of this, you're part of the reason cinema is dying. It is truly... Oh, God, I a, feel personally attacked. It's one of the best works of art of the year, and I know so many people go find it on Disney+, Plus, but it should be seen in the cinema because on a big screen, it's illuminating and visually spectacular and beautiful, and I cannot describe it enough. It's in the year that everyone was going, oh, which one will be better in the Heights on West Side Story? They are both blew the bloody doors off. And I can't believe that both of them are in the top three, but that's how it happened. West Side, the only reason West Side Story isn't one is because Ansel El got in it. And his personal life makes his character feel slightly creepy. And the fact he's also not very good in the film. But other than that, this film is perfect. It, oh, I saw it two weeks ago, and I've thought about it every single day since. And I listened to the soundtrack continuously. I've been humming the songs. Oh, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. I love, I love how into this you are. This just really, for me, and I'm sure for the listeners as well, highlights the love you have for film. Yeah, when you get a film like the new West Side Story, you're like, that is why I watch like 10 to 15 mediocre or shit films a week because I get a gem like that and I'm like in love. All right, we doing this? Yeah. Doing it. At number, number one, one, this film is half the length of West Side Story. It's Petit Maman, directed by Celine Sciamma. Um, Another French film. Yes, it is in French. It's beautiful. Um... Yeah, Siama can't put a foot wrong in her filmmaking. She's just come from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And this is arguably a more profound tale of Nellie, who lost her grandmother, and her parents go out to clean up her mother's childhood home. However, in the surrounding woods, she meets a girl who's the same age as her, building a treehouse. Um, I don't want to spoil the film, because there was a massive thing that I thought was a twist in there. But if I had a basic grasp of French, I would have realised that's in the title. Um, Petit Maman. If you know what French... Yeah. 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 I was like, oh my god. But it was a surprise for you. It was a big surprise. And, then and that I, made you love it even more, right? It was a massive surprise. And then I left the film and went, actually, I could translate the title myself. Um... No, I just really didn't put two and two together. It's a beautiful tale about... It's beautiful. I've said that word so many times. It's a wonderful tale 
of how parents and kids are disconnected through so many ways where really they shouldn't be. It's kind of a fairy tale, kind of a ghost story, kind of a coming of age journey. Um, it's beautiful and I think it shows that the world could be so much more connected if we tried. Right, well there you have it. The top films of 2021. Mm. And that was, I love, this stuff on there that I just need to watch. I, what was your favourite film year. of this year? No Time to Die. Yeah, that's a fair point. I loved it. I thought it was too long. However, I want to go watch it again because mm. I thought it was great. And the cinematics on it, for me, were just, oh, they were so good. But Ben, it has been an absolute pleasure. Make sure you check out the upcoming top TV shows of 2021, which is going to be up on the RTE Film Podcast podcast channel soonish, hopefully, uh, where we will find out where the likes of Back to Life, Strictly Come Dancing, The White Lotus, we're going to find out where all of them and so many more are going to be charting in our rankings, which is very exciting. Uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, uh, give us a review. Go on, if it's, uh, leave us a little Christmas present, a nice little five-star review would, would be nice. Uh, you can get involved, benheath101 at gmail.com. Tweet us at articulfilm. I know there's going to be some people out there that are just going to really disagree with our, our opinions, right? Yeah, so but we want to hear from that. We want to we want to hear your top films, and we want to hear why. Mm. Ben, but you if so, you put so a Marvel film at number one, I don't trust your opinion. I'm sorry. Yeah. Watch more films. <laughs> I mean, top TV shows of 2021. What we saying? Friends at the top, Ben. Um, Friends didn't come out in 2021. Even though the Friends reunion will never forget how I actually quite liked that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, you that, did, you the did. fact I like the Friends reunion showed I'm quite open minded. Yes. All right, Ben. Thank you very much, buddy. See you on the next one. Cheers for listening. Bye. Bye.